Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zero. It gets a bad rep. Like when people say they have zero interest in something. Well, if you're thinking of buying an electric car this year, you'll find this interesting. Because at Nissan, we see the power of zero. Introducing the Nissan Leaf Power of Zero offer. Buy a brand new 100% electric zero emissions Nissan Leaf and get one year's free servicing, a free home charger, the lowest electric finance offer on the market and great savings on running costs. Now that's the power of zero. Find out more at Nissan.ie. Hello, hello, welcome along to the BloodandMud.com podcast, episode two. The Rugby World Cup is still ongoing. It's still ongoing. One week left, one more week. How many more sleeps? Depends when you listen to it. Coming up for you today, we're going to talk about the semi-finals, obviously. We're going to talk about the final. And by we, I mean we. It's not just me this week. So I've got a wonderful Kiwi talking to me about the final, about his hopes, his expectations, his dread and everything else. We will also talk about the TMO, how the increasing use of technology, and I'm not joking, is going to lead to probably the end of the human race. Bear with me, I'll explain that to you. Also, the latest instalment of You Dirty Get, where we will be talking about the latest inductee into that particular Hall of Fame. I'll talk about how the hell did he get a cap, which this week has a Gallic-French flair, flavour, and we'll also be doing The Loop, which is where I've been asking you to nominate rugby-related tracks. I'll be doing a new one every week, uh, hence The Loop. See, I'm not stupid. I do think about these things. So all of that coming up. Stick around. I hope you enjoy it. It should be. Well, it'll be a laugh for me. I don't know about you, but we'll see. Obviously, the big event this week is the uh, third and fourth place playoff. No, it's not. It's the final. And the, the semi-final that's just been as well. Talking about the final and the semi-final. And to help me out with that, I've brought over a guest. Well, I've not brought over to him. Obviously, I've, I've, I've Skyped him in Wellington because that's how the world works these days. But I've brought a guest to you, which is Eamon Conaghan, who's the man behind the Weight of a Nation website in New Zealand. He knows a fair bit about the pain of New Zealand not winning World Cups. 
So let's have a talk to him about how he sees this one going. How long have you had, had the website going for, uh, Eamon? Is it, my memory is probably somewhere around about 2011, or maybe it's a bit earlier than that, is it? Yeah, going back to 2009, actually, Gay Lee. Uh, yeah, so I set it back up in 2009, and um, in a couple of years just tinkering away there, kind of spewing vitriol about different things, <laughs> as we Kiwis do. Uh, and then I've had a delightful four years, uh, the last four years for a change, waiting on a World Cup where we actually held it. So it was nice. Normally we're waiting for it to come back around again so we can have another crack at it. But uh, it's been a good four years, but it's going to be a pretty punishing uh, week ahead, I think. Yeah, your website focuses a lot on this whole thing. Well, it basically revels in the kind of grim dread of failure about to happen, really. Is that is that what most Kiwis are like, or is that just you? No, I mean, I think, you know, well, it's been well documented, not just on my website, right around the world, uh, how many times the boys have fallen over at the at the wrong moment. And um, I think, you know, Kiwis have uh, have learned from that. So we've, we've got a good streak of negativity in us. And, um, and there couldn't be more negative situation than to be facing the Wallabies in the final, not because you necessarily fear the Wallabies per se, although obviously they're a pretty bloody good side, but because you fear Australia. Uh, there's no nation that makes uh winning a more painful experience <laughs> speaking as a british person uh, uh I, I can remember very well the 2001 lions tour when actually the yeah uh, my friend was over there for the 2001 lions tour and he said he's never known a nation of people who win so badly in his life <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you want to if you want to experience a real bastard take an australian and add winning uh, <laughs> I unfortunately uh, moved over there when I was a young fella. My folks took me there kicking and screaming, and I lived there for many years. And it was during a particularly bad period of all black rugby when uh, the Wallabies pipped us at the post about three tests in a row. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm quite embittered by it all. So, looking at the game then, I mean, are you, are, are you hopeful? Well, so this is the thing, you know, this is where we. Uh, what part is hopeful and what part is realistic? I mean, I think the All Blacks, you know, you look back at it, we've got the same team standing between us and the World Cup that stands between us and the Bledisloe Cup, and that hasn't worked out too bad for 13 years. But the Wallabies, you know, they've got uh, they've got a good side. They've got that uh, dual uh, open side situation going on. They've got game breakers. They've got people that can score tries, which obviously we didn't have to worry about that this weekend and somehow we still conceded 18 points to a side that can't can't score tries so I mean there's enough to keep you on edge and as I say just uh everything that's at stake it's there, there won't be much peaceful sleep between now and uh and Sunday morning I was looking at something this week and actually if my reckoning's right which it could be wrong but my reckoning but if my reckoning's right both Australia and New Zealand have scored five tries sorry conceded five tries each in this tournament, which is actually pretty decent going when you think about it, because it, um, they've played what six games now, conceded five tries each. But if you look at the tries that the, the people Australia have played, England, Wales, um, and so on, and only conceding that number of tries, no trials are tries at all against against Wales. New Zealand conceded two tries against New Zealand. Uh, sorry, New Zealand conceded two tries against Aus- uh, Argentina. Yep. Uh, so you could argue that. You, you said on Twitter to me a few weeks ago we were having a bit of a back and forth with you, you know, and I was going crazy about how hard a time England were having, and you said we're enjoying this Lilo ride in Group C. Yeah. Do you think that might actually be a bit of a problem? Because if you actually look at it, Australia have hit out against some pretty decent teams, and 
the, the team they did concede a lot against, Scotland, you could argue. I mean, they gave two of those tries away, Australia, quite frankly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, listen, I mean, the, the, the soft pulls have not worked in our favour in the past. But, you know, you stand back and take a look at it. If there's one team, you know, you look at this version of the All Blacks, if there's one team that would benefit from a soft pull, I think it is these All Blacks, because there's no doubt that uh, we're, we're ringing some of these guys out at this stage. Uh, McCaw is playing on memory to an extent. Um, Reed hasn't been in great form, mm. although he's still young enough to be playing well. Kano is a bit scratchy. So our back row, which, of course, where Australia is so strong, um, probably could have done with a, you know, a reasonable, reasonably soft World Cup working their way into form. And we've had that hit out against France, which obviously... I don't know. At least it was uh, something compelling and something to get everyone excited and get the blood flowing again. And then I think, you know, the sharpener against the box, who, speaking of never conceding tries, the All Blacks have never conceded a World Cup try to the South African Springboks. And, really? Uh, all these years, yeah. No, I never knew that. That's, a, that's amazing, yeah. isn't it? You wouldn't have thought that, yeah. would you? It's no great surprise not con- conceding a try to this South African team because they've got oh, all, the, all the creativity of a boiled carrot, basically. I don't know how you feel about this yourself, Lee, but I was actually quite surprised with how bad the Springboks were on attack. I thought, uh, you know, that they've always been a little bit more conservative and the probably this World Cup came a bit early because that midfield's going to be something else and Pollard presumably will grow into a, a special 10. But um, I still expected them to do a bit more, even though perhaps they were young for this World Cup, um, but really just nothing. And uh, I've never felt more comfortable in the last couple of minutes of a game when all you... No, I, I think um, when you look at that, people, you know, people talk about stats and things a lot. I think sometimes not enough people, you know, you said, look, use your eyes and, and use your brain to, to, to translate what your eyes are telling you. That second half, New Zealand were unbelievably comfortable. Didn't look in trouble at all, I didn't think, at any point, no matter even with the, the closeness of the scoreline. And to go back to that South African um, attack, I mean, it's very good that Schaltberger can stand in midfield and receive these passes. But when you base your entire attacking platform around a number seven stood in the 12 channel, yeah. I, you know, it's I, I don't see how that's going to move you forward. It was good against Wales, but Wales were knackered. I mean, Wales had virtually had, you know, had, a, had a pit pony and playing for them by next week, they were so knackered. So, yeah, I, I was absolutely flabbergasted. I mean, and they've got some deep... The, the, the mad thing is they've got decent outside runners, haven't they? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, and I, I think and now with the, this young midfield that's coming into it, and I, I kind of thought that Peter de Villiers... Uh, in, oh, sorry, go on and call him Peter de Villiers. <laughs> Poor old de Villiers' injury, uh, you know, might have actually been a blessing in disguise to get the Allende out on the field uh, mm. with Creel. But, um, yeah, probably... You know, at that stage, I think they'd already decided what style of footy they were going to play. And I'm a little bit, um, I guess I'm a bit sceptical as much as I like uh, Meyer. I'm not sure perhaps he's the fellow that's ready to take them forward. Or if he is, perhaps he needs to uh, get some slightly uh, more skillful lieutenants because uh, they, that attack just didn't really offer much. And as you say, I think that there are some players there who could execute a more expansive game plan. No problems. Yeah, indeed. But... Coming back to the final, then. So, what what do you what what do you reckon? How's it going to go? Well, I mean, Scott Seo is going to be a big uh, big call. Um, last I heard, the Wallabies thought that he would play. Um, so, if he's out there, I I I've sort of gave up on the All Black scrum quite a while ago. I mean, I don't think it's a bad scrum, but it's not it's not a good scrum. And it's, it's not, not a liability, though, is it? It's not. I don't think it's going to lose you the game, is it? 
Uh, well, it could it could cost us a couple of penalties, um, and it could also give the Wallabies a chance to kick to the corner. So, you know, I think it's going to be a factor. Um, Haseo's not there. I think it'll be very even Stevens. But if he's playing, I think uh, I think Australia could expect to get some mileage out of the scrum. I think New Zealand should beat them in the air. I think the, the All Black second row is really uh, the key to their success at the moment. If the back row gets going, um, they can probably play the Australian back row to a draw. But, I mean, what do you do about Pocock? He's yeah. he's insidious. He's like a bowler. Once you realise <laughs> it's already too late by the time you realise he's there. I mean, I don't know how you how you combat that. I know, obviously, in 2011, we ran him all day um, and tried to keep him buried under a ruck. But it's that's not as easy when uh, Hooper's there on his shoulder. So... I think actually the uncomfortable situation the All Blacks face themselves in is Hooper becomes the new Cooper. Uh, in 2011, we really had to make Quade Cooper beat us. Um, basically, stand back and let him implode. Mm. This time, I think we really have to target Pocock and try and stop him from having the same influence he normally will. And, and even then, you're still going to concede turnovers, but maybe it'll only be two and not five. Um, yeah, because it was four against South Africa to his own name, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think when you look at it, I think he's got 14 turnovers for the tournament. And I think Australia, it's about 30, 35% of the entire Australian total of turnovers are just him. Yeah. And given he's not played in a couple of games, it's incredible. I know. I mean, he's freakish. And, and he, he did the same thing. And I, I tend to actually have a bit of sympathy with uh, South African fans back, back in 2011. I think he did get away with a bit in that game. But it was the same thing. Australia wouldn't have been in that semi-final if it wasn't for Pocock. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's just a devastating player. To think, I mean, he's basically had the better part of three years out with injury. And I thought it was starting to look a bit like a Johnny Wilkinson revolving door of injuries. I thought we'd never see him back. And yeah. uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't heartbroken about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's back and he's, he's large as life and uh, he's going to have a big factor. But, you know, I think the All Blacks on balance, probably still the better side. But um, both sides are on the move, and Australia's definitely on the move up. So it just uh, has enough time come off the clock for the Wallabies to actually pass us. Will they get us on that home stretch? Uh, that's the big question. What, 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 what's your view? I think um, I think it's going to be New Zealand. I think they, they 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 look a bit too. They look more solid. I think they won't play as badly as they did against South Africa and they won't play as well as they did against France is my view. And I think if they can come out somewhere in between that, they've probably got enough to win. Australia have got Pocock, as you've already said. I don't think New Zealand in this tournament have dealt with an attack like Australia's yet. But then again, I'm not really sure that Australia have dealt with the defence like uh, New Zealand either. So it, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be tight. It's the final we all wanted, I think. I mean, that's the, that, that's that's a good thing. Um, Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, you'd have, I would have, I would have Argentina had all day. You'd have had, would you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, would... listen. I mean, but the, here's the thing, and I think I think Australia's defence has improved a lot. But um, you know, the Pumas have got a lot of half breaks out there on Saturday, and they weren't able to kind of uh, link up and, and finish those movements. But there were. There were a few promising-looking movements, and um, New Zealand annually, generally once a year, puts 50 points on that defence. Unfortunately, we've already done it uh, in 2015. So, I don't know. There might be a couple of gaps out there. There might be opportunities, um, but a lot of that comes down to how it plays in a World Cup final as well. Look at that Australian defensive pattern. I've been talking about this all tournament, really. I mean, they they very obviously do that, you know, push up into the middle 
sort of umbrella out to in defence, whatever you want to call it, where they, where they try and hit the second receiver as he's getting the ball to shut it all down. You know, a way, a way around that, and Australia found it, sorry, Argentina found it, is, is if you start cutting angle runners against that or bring inside runners, the gaps are enormous because the way they run up creates an automatic dogleg in the defence. If you, if you look at a rugby league example, you keep the line straight because the gaps are the smallest when the line is straight. As right. soon as you start to come up out of the line, you create a very large gap. And I think that people like Scudder um, and, and, and Sonny Bill, when he gets on, will be able to actually start to exploit that, especially as they get tired of, in the game. It's worked very well. It's a good system, and, and they're obviously going with that system, Australia. But actually, I think you know, Argentina proved, if they were a little bit more clinical, there are gaps there, and you can get through them. And I think uh, you know, an all-black going through that gap is a bit different to, to a young Argentinian, really. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, you know, I guess that's one of the strengths Australia's head of this World Cup is Michael Checker, and you've got to take your head off to him, bloody good coach, mm. has succeeded everywhere he's gone. And I think he's had a chance to come to this World Cup knowing that he's basically going to coach in the next World Cup and probably would have even if they'd gone out in the pool rounds to try a few things, uh, selection-wise as well as uh, tactically. So... And that must be tremendously liberating for them. And I think they'll probably take that, although it'll be a bit tighter now that they're so close and they could perhaps nab this World Cup, uh, perhaps they'll be a little bit more conservative going into the final. But uh, I think that's a good position to be coming from, the kind of uh, nothing-to-lose situation that they've had so far this tournament. Yeah, because my friend, who can constantly uh, reminds me, uh, he, he put they were 9-1 to one when he put money on them 12 months ago, just over 12 months ago, Australia. Which you look at it now seems absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but, it, but, it, but it's a sick, it's, it's it's an indicator of what he's done. Check it. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, he's done it with a lot of retreads too. Like a lot of these guys that are kind of littered across that uh, Wallaby team have been not good enough for a long time now, and uh, you know, they've they've t- they've turned it around. So it's not like he's all of a sudden plugged in this pipeline of uh, different talent. He's taken a lot of the same guys. And uh, he's getting the success that Robbie Deans couldn't get and Ewan McKenzie couldn't get. Well, you know, he's, he's made Rob Simmons look like an international player. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that, that, that he's got to be worth his paycheck for that for yeah, that alone. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, is, I, I tremendously underrated uh, Fardy as well. I thought he was just a super rugby player. But, um, you know, and, and some of it always comes down to selection too. He's put Fardy in there and he's just grown in stature as, as time's gone on. I think there's something about international coaching in any sport really I think you have to decide if you've got somebody who's the right class and you stick with them you know cricket's an example of that you know is somebody test class and if they are you stick with them because you know they're going to come good and I think he he's looked at something like Fardy he wasn't pulling up any trees and so actually no I think he's got what it takes I'm sticking with him and I'm going to work with him and then you get there and I think that's where you know sorry to bring the conversation back to England but I think that's where England fails sometimes I don't think they actually look at the the group of players that they've got and actually say is he actually the requisite class and can I get him to do a job that I need him to do and I think yeah. that's what Checker is brilliant at really as you you know identified and and to some extent you know helped a backhanded compliment here but you know <laughs> by the fact that Australia doesn't have the greatest pool of talent and they can't uh, take chop and change players all the time and that, that sometimes can be a benefit. In fact, classic example in Australian rugby with that would be Stephen Larkham who mm. was a fullback and they didn't have a 10 once Knox got on a bit and they couldn't pick Larkham at 15 because even though he was, as far as I was concerned, running rings around Matt Burke, they'd kind of centred their whole marketing campaign around Matt Burke. So they kept him at 15. 
move Larkham to 10 and he turned into one of the great, one of the great 10s you'll ever see. So yeah, yeah I mean, you know, sometimes it, it does help just to persevere. Um, but listen, I don't want to, uh, I know we're talking about the final, but what do you think is the next step for the, for the English? Oh, well, <laughs> I've tried my best not to talk about it too much, given that they're not in the, not in the tournament, but I think the next step is, I think, I wrote a thing on a blog a few weeks ago where I said that uh, there are some key questions Lancaster needs to answer, really. I don't think it's it's a get rid of him and that's the end of it situation, but I do think there are some key questions he needs to answer, which is, why could he not see what, what was necessary for an international breakdown? Mm. Because he doesn't seem to have sat down a few years ago and said, well, actually, if you're going to win international games, you need people who can do this at a breakdown. You know, anybody yeah. can see that, really. And I think if he'd done that three years ago, four years ago, and said and said to somebody like Stefan Armitage, who's the kind of, you know, cause celebrity, said to somebody like Stefan Armitage, look, this is our strategy at the breakdown. Please don't go to France or please come back from France because you'll be starting. Yeah. And I think he'd have come back then. I don't think he, he didn't want to, Armitage, Armitage didn't want to leave Toulon to come and sign for somebody in England on the off chance he might get selected. I think if they'd have given a commitment, and I think they could have done that. Uh, so I think it's a question mark around that. I think it's a question mark around, I mean, he inherited a shambles in 2011, you know, the, the full dwarf tossing omni shambles, you know, is, is what he inherited back then. And he did actually turn the, the squad around to a certain extent and he did make them a bit better. And, and But I think the question I asked is what of him is what do you value most? Do you value this kind of decent, upright person or do you actually have rugby things in mind that you want them to do as well? There's a, there's a rumbling... There's a rumbling around sort of saying, well, actually, he's a very good developmental coach in the background. He did a good job with the academy, you know, and that's yeah. that's where his strength is. And maybe he should go back to that. There's talk of Eddie Jones now. I've got somebody who's, who's got some sources who, who reckons that they've they've that they could be looking at Eddie Jones. They've got enough, you know, the RFU's got enough money to buy anybody out of any contract. You know, I mean, they've got so many that are officially like above the law. You know, the RFU, yeah. they, they can buy, they could buy, they could pay for anything basically. So. So, so I think that could be the next step forward. Is it could be Eddie Jones, and I think that would be a brilliant appointment, really, because he's a very, very good coach. Now, do you think Eddie would come in as the as the key man, and Stuart would uh, fade into the background? Yeah, I think he'd go back in, in into the background. Another thing that nobody, well, should talk more about is Rob Andrew. At the end of the day, he's been at some at some position in elite rugby for the best part of twelve years in England in some some kind of overseeing role, and all he's overseeing is twelve years of us turning to shit, quite frankly. You know, That's true, but I will always, always remember him as kicking Australia out of that 95 World Cup. Uh, <laughs> well, that's that good reason. for you, but it's not very good for us, is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the final then, prediction. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Amy. With all your, with all, you know, your, your grim dread, what do, you think's going to, what do you think the score's going to be? Where he's going to win? Well, uh, okay, so I think the All Blacks will win. Um, well, do I really think it? I don't know. There's so many <laughs> Right now, but I'm going to go with the All Blacks because I just like to hear myself say it, and uh, I'd like to think that in fact they'll they'll uh, they'll get ahead in the last quarter and and do it by about nine. I can't disagree with that. I don't think. I think I think this could be one game too far for Australia. I don't because I, 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 I think certain people aren't playing well enough. Follow, for example, isn't playing well enough to come up against a team like New Zealand, and then for them to drive it over. So I think that I think it'll be New Zealand by less than ten points. I think I think you're probably right there. It should be a cracking game, though. Well, for me, because I you know I'm not that invested in the in, in the yeah. 
Have you, are, you, are you taking yourself to a dark room or? You lucky, lucky bastard. <laughs> Listen, I was happy to come on and talk to you right now just because as long as I'm not left alone with my own thoughts, that's the main <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the things that does worry me, in fact, is that some of those felt. Zero. It gets a bad rep. Like when people say they have zero interest in something. Well, if you're thinking of buying an electric car this year, you'll find this interesting because at Nissan, we see the power of zero. Introducing the Nissan Leaf Power of Zero offer. Buy a brand new 100% electric zero emissions Nissan Leaf and get one year's free servicing, a free home charger, the lowest electric finance offer on the market and great savings on running costs. Now that's the power of zero. Find out more at nissan.ie. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Those haven't played well in a while because, you know, Falao is one who can just, he can, he can change a game in a single play. Now it does look like his ankle's genuinely dodgy, so it might be hard for him to do that. But by the same token, perhaps if we were chewed right into him and we're covering him hard, well, it's going to be hard for him to do anything off that dodgy ankle. But if we start to relax, as may happen a little bit about the Falao threat and start focusing elsewhere, it'll open the door for him. Another player that I think hasn't like had a storming uh, World Cup for them who I really am a bit concerned about is Kurundrani because mm. I think he's an outstanding blockbusting centre and it's the type of centre that Conrad Smith's had trouble marking in recent times. I mean, he got, gets run over by Tuolagi and he has been run over by Kurundrani before. So it concerns me that uh, he might be really due to have a stormer as well. So, and that's the thing about Australia: there are there are guys there who can uh, who can pull one out of the bag. So, I, I won't rest easy until the game is is run and won. Um, and even then, I won't rest easy if it goes the wrong way. So, but yeah, no, um, I think you're right too. I think they've had a big long tournament. It's got to be pretty draining. They have relied on a couple of guys to do a lot of the yeoman's work to get them there. So um, it'll be tough for them. That said, though, uh, Scotland and Argentina in the knockouts wasn't a particularly taxing lineup of opponents. So well, you are uh, France. But... <laughs> <laughs> you had the most batshit imploding France team. And normally, when France implode and go batshit, they're at least challenging and entertaining. This. They, they went batshit this time and just became sulky people walking around who couldn't give a toss about the game, basically. Oh, I know, I know, but come on, listen. We would never underestimate those bastards. We had to play <laughs> We had to play the three teams that have knocked us out of a World Cup twice. Fair point. So, um, yeah, I felt it was going to be a pretty challenging run. And, uh, you know, obviously I was delighted to see France uh, self-destruct. But, um, you know, the, the box really made us uh, sit up and, you know, because you always do it, even though you know in the back of your mind, oh, this is still a World Cup. It's serious, but when you win by 50 in the quarterfinals, you do start to go, oh, maybe maybe we will be the first team that coasts through. Uh, so that Bok result was pretty sobering experience, you know. Probably came at the right time, actually, didn't it? 
I hope so. Uh, I hope, uh, and I hope that is it. I hope that's all the, the close ones we have. Because really, um, you know, just to go back to that game, we were, as you say, comfortable. And I, I thought so too. Even when we trailed by seven at half time, I kind of thought, well, oh, no, sorry, five. I thought this is obviously not ideal, but uh, the weight of possession and territory, the box are bound to crack eventually. Yeah. And then we got on that roll and Habana went to the bin and we got, we got the drop goal, we got the try, the conversion, Habana in the bin. I thought we should have gone on with it from there. And the mm. fact is we couldn't maintain that five-point buffer. And in the end, when you're only leading by two, uh, all you need is something crazy to happen, like Sam Kane knocks the ball on and they tow it down and it goes out about five minutes from your try line. And the whole, you know, you can lose. So uh, that was that was pretty anxious. Um, but, yeah, hopefully it, it did kind of uh, refocus the boys a bit. So then, between now and the weekend, you'll be sat there gently rocking and muttering to yourself, will you, till, till kick-off? I mean, obviously, it's a, it's, it's a terrible time for you, isn't it, the kick-off? Well, I mean, listen, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know why I actually enjoy rugby, because uh, <laughs> I, I, down at club level, I can enjoy it. That's about it. Once or even at super rugby level, the nerves get uh, sickening. So uh, once you, when you're talking test level and you're talking the World Cup and you know yourself that everyone judges everything by a World Cup, so there's all these casual fans that uh, check it in and you want to see your team do well. Um, and you also don't want your casual fan Australian mates, well, you push there are many, <laughs> to have any excuse to uh, text you. In the middle of the night, so yeah, no, it's it's nervous times, but um, you know, listen, it's just it, it has been a great World Cup. I think it has been the best of the lot, and I think a lot of the times people say that in the heat of the moment, but I think uh, this one will stand the test of time as well when we look back at it and and all the different things that happened. I think it's been a great World Cup, so. Hopefully it just ends well now. I could just picture you, should you lose the game on Saturday, spending the next four years going, well, it was a good World Cup, though. At least it was a good World Cup. At least it was a good World Cup. <laughs> to try and somehow stop yourself from weeping every day or something. Uh, if we lose on Saturday, I will not be persisting with the lie that it was a good World Cup. <laughs> they, weren't play- they weren't even playing rugby. It was no game. <laughs> well, let's... Well, listen, Eamon, thanks very much. And I hope you can somehow stay sane between now and Saturday. And I hope you can somehow find a way of enjoying the game. And thanks for talking to us. It's that time of the, the evening. It might not be the evening. You can listen to this in the morning. I've got no idea. But it's that time of the evening because I'm recording it in the evening where we're going to talk about who's next into the great... Hall of Fame that is the You Dirty Get, which celebrates fabulous and legendary acts of foul play. Now, last week's You Dirty Get, which was the hand of back for those of you who didn't hear it, um, in a way celebrated a great amount of the great of the good stuff about foul play. It was sneaky, it was underhand, it was technical, but in a way it was brilliant in its own way. It was fantastic. I've decided this week to go to the complete opposite end of the scale and show you some of the and talk to you about some of the foul play that is basically disgraceful the year is 2001 the game is the British and Irish Lions versus the New South Wales Waratahs I apologise for that accent and it's the second half of the game and then something starts to develop James is calling for it on this near side says give it width but through go Pinkerton and Finau and then holding on to the ball 
and it's now a bear pit. Bear pit, says Miles Harrison. I'll be honest, any pits I've seen where one bear holds down another bear and then punches him in the head 14 times, 12 times, 11 times, a number of times anyway. Well, Ronan O'Gara got a right pasting then. A right pasting. And you can see this well. And some of the line supporters down in that corner are incensed by what they've seen. It's going to be an off, I think. Look at this. I think it's clearly already been an off, Stuart. Did you not notice? Somebody was punching Ronan O'Gara in the head. And that somebody was the famous Duncan McRae. He hadn't, he hadn't been that noticeable before in his career, but he's a legend now. That's the funny thing about being a you dirty get, isn't it? Because you can actually be a relatively bog-standard player with a reasonable career that nobody ever, ever remembers. Then you can do something like punching Ronan O'Gara, a prostrate Ronan O'Gara, in the face upwards of ten times, and people will never forget. Oh. McRae's got to go. He's got to go. That is terrible. That's about as bad as it gets. This is no debate. The referee agreed with that as well. Well, the penalty is against you, right? It's going to be a red card as well. You're near there and you punch the guy several times on the ground. Okay? It's a red card on the touchdown's recommendation. Okay? It is a red card. Off Duncan McRae. No place for that. No place. You know, funnily enough, the only thing that I hate more than what Duncan McRae did there is the tone that Miles Harrison uses when he's going off. That horrible schoolmasterly tone. There's no place for that. There's no place for that. So you may have to break begins. You'll be having your phone taken away from you and given a good thrashing. So inductee number two into the Dirty Get Hall of Fame for attempting to play the introduction to Queen's We Will Rock You on Ronan O'Gara's face, it is Duncan McRae of New South Wales. That's just typical what it is! Let's talk about the TMO. The TMO has been endlessly frustrated throughout this World Cup. I think we're all totally and completely sick of it. But it, gave, it, it became even worse last week. I think I've got a very basic question with the TMO. When, and it's actually, I'll throw it out you to answer this, because I've, I've been trying to think about it. When is it useful to referee a game in slow motion? When? How many incidents is it actually useful for? Think about it. I mean, you've got situations where groundings, and when you've got that kind of freeze frame between did a foot go into touch, did it not go into touch? Do you need to see exactly in slow motion where somebody put their, whether somebody put their finger in somebody's eye? It's useful then. Actual in-game collision situations, it is never... I would venture, and invite your views on this, it's never useful to referee the game in slow motion because all it does, it makes everything look worse. It makes mistimed tackles look worse. It makes it look like they've come from miles away and tried to take somebody's head off. It makes swinging arms look worse because it makes it look like they've been winding it up windmill Ali style for 10 minutes when actually that's not the case because in real time you'll just see they might have just mistimed it or it's just come round at the wrong time. So for a start, I think that anything that involves something like a tackle or a collision or something like that shouldn't even be ever refereed in slow motion. So that's my first thing. It's fundamentally wrong because it referees too much of the game in slow motion, which basically makes it a completely false situation, so it shouldn't be done anyway. On top of that, it's been used in situations where it just shouldn't be used at all. It should be used in two situations, basically. It should be used in 
Groundings are things in the act of scoring. Two egregious acts of foul play. That's it. That's the only time that the TMO should be used. The rest of it, they should be able to do the job. A lot of people, <clears throat> the referees should be able to do the job. A lot of people were kicking off last week because uh, Barnes didn't go to the TMO in the semi-final for that pass from Drew Mitchell to Adam Ashley Cooper, which turned out to be forward. But I thought, actually, I'm glad he didn't go to the TMO in that situation because if you look at the replay or, or any of the angles to it, the ref, the linesman was looking directly along the line of where that pass went. So either he does the job or the job doesn't get done because otherwise it's just going to be an absolute ridiculous nightmare. It's already become a, a you know a ridiculous nightmare. It'll become an absolute ridiculous nightmare because of the difference apparently. And a bigger thing we should all worry about, and I, I don't think I'm being melodramatic here, a bigger thing we should all worry about is basically where does this use of technology take us? Technology is a good thing, but if you don't use technology properly, you could end up in a serious problem. Cyberdyne systems from the Terminator, when they invented their first chip, probably didn't realise they were going to have uh, lead to a race of robots that killed the entire human race. Now, I'm not saying the TMO is a race of robots designed to kill the entire human race, but they could be. And do you want to run that risk? I don't. So please, IRB, if not for the sake of the game, then for the sake of the human race, stop using the TMO quite so much. How the hell did he get a cap? It's time once again to dip into our look back at those people who should never really have played international rugby. Now, last week, it was the uh, England centre of Eula Arinley. Now, I discovered as I was talking about Eula last week, if it told you listened, I realised that basically that's a very rich seam of how the hell did I get a cap, did he get a cap, that period of England, uh, well, any period of England since about 2003, really. That's a particularly rich one around the, the, the Johnson and Robinson era. And this week, I'm going to be looking at uh, France, which has been another rich seam, a rich seam to mind of how the hell did he get a cap. The Mark Livremont and Philippe Chantandre years could, you know, I could fill an entire hour just going through how the hell did he get a cap for some of their selections. However, I'm going for one from the Livremont days. And what I particularly like about this one is that it is balmy even by uh, Livremont standards, which is saying something. It really is saying something. He selected a number of crazy people, uh, crazy selections. Other people might not have been crazy at all, but certainly crazy selections came from Mark Lievremont. Lievremont, remember, had been a player and he had a brother who also played international for France, Thomas, Thomas Lievremont, who had both had, you know, they both had reasonable careers. Thomas was a flanker and Mark was a centre, if I remember rightly. Uh, Mark was a centre before he went mental. Um, but then when Mark got the job, there was actually another Lievremont brother that none of us had heard of. Now, the reason why none of us had really heard of him is because he was shite. So he'd never been near an England squad, uh, uh, France squad, because none of, he never looked like he was going to do that. But then, of course, his brother got the France job, Mark, and Mark's first squad, in Mark's first squad, he decided to select his brother, Matthew, for no other reason, for no other reason I can conclude, for no other reason, that basically it was very awkward round the table at Christmas dinner. You can just imagine it, can't you? Christmas dinner time, Mark's saying, oh yeah, when I played centre at Twickenham, I did this. And Thomas is saying, oh Mark, yeah, do you remember that time I offloaded to you in a France game? And Mrs. Lee Everman, you know, the mamma of the family saying, right you two, you can't keep talking like this because you're leaving Matthew out of it. Look, it's Christmas and you're ruining his Christmas for him. So I reckon as soon as Mark got the job, his mobile probably rang. It was probably mum again, you know. Now you've got this job, you've got to give Matthew a, a cap 
Oh, I don't want to, Mum. Oh, you have to, because I'm not having this at Christmas anymore. That's the only reason we can think of. Maybe there are other reasons that you can look at. Maybe you know why he was selected, because I don't. But my only reason I can think of, the only reason Matthew Lee Evermont got a cap was because basically it was awkward at dinner time and Mark's mum told him that he had to do it. And let's be honest, that's probably one of the more logical reasons when you, that he might have selected somebody. When you look at some of the other stuff he selected, which I'll no doubt come on to in later editions of How the Hell Did He Get a Cap. So the inductee this week into the How the Hell Did He Get a Cap Hall is Matthew Lievremont, brother of Mad Mark Lievremont, who was only selected because probably Mark's mum told him to. How the hell? The other game happening this week, of course, is the third and fourth place playoff, a game which often makes people scratch their heads and think, is it really worth playing it? And I've often been in that position myself, really. Who really wants to know with their third best in the world about six six or seven days after losing a semi-final with all the heartbreak and the soul-splintering horror and sadness that that brings? Then I cast my mind back to 2007, when Argentina played in that game against France, if my memory serves me correctly. But anyway, Argentina in that game, it was a brilliant game. It was a brilliant game and Argentina were absolutely pumped for it. And I can't see it being that different this time, actually. Um, South Africa might play the let's just shrug our shoulders and not that arsed card. But I think Argentina, that team and that young team will want to say, actually, yeah, we are third best in the world. Three years ago, you know, you might have been thinking we weren't anybody. And the greatest thing about this weekend coming up, I think, is that they should be two really good games. I can't and I can't see the final New Zealand Australia, which we talked about earlier, being a bad game because those the two expressive a team, those two teams for it not to be a good game. And then added to that, the night before, I think Argentina are going to go absolutely balls out for this one. They're going to want to win it and win it in the way that they play rugby. So it's bound to be a, a brilliant game of rugby. Plus up against the Argentina pack up against that South African pack, it should be a fantastic game of rugby. The good thing about the third fourth place playoff is there's no pressure on it so you can't express yourself I suppose the final the only worry for the final is that those two teams might tighten up because it is the big prize at the end of the day but I think as uh, Amy alluded to before Checker might not do that because Checker knows he's still got a job in four years time but the playoff should be a brilliant brilliant game and I think everyone should tune into that and it will involve some players of the tournament I think that you know the likes of Cordero are probably going to get into the team of the tournament if you ask me I'm going to finish this week with The Loop, a new feature which I've started, or trying to start anyway, which is where we ask you to nominate tracks which are somehow associated with rugby. You can nominate them on Twitter to us, at Blood and Mud. That's the word and, don't use the, don't use the old ampersand thing. Um, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mud, or you can just come along to the normal website. Or you can email me if you just want to get in touch with me directly at lee at bloodandmud.com and you can... Let us know if you want to nominate somebody for you dirty gets, nominate somebody who should never have had a cap and on how the hell have you got a cap, and also nominate somebody for the loop, a track for the loop. This week, I think it was hard not to go for this one, it was nominated on Twitter, um, an Australian band singing about being in the black, which is absolutely perfect for this week. I think you'll agree. What better way to get you going for the final than this? We'll see you next week.
If you have a TV, you must have a TV license. It's the law. Choose the convenient option and pay online anytime at tvlicense.ie. Your TV license made easier. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.